Good morning, Active Church. How are you? So good to see you. Glad that you're here today. My name is Mike. I serve on the team, and this is my friend David Dominic. Can you welcome David to the stage? David and his wife Angela and their kids Caleb and Layla have been a part of Active for about two years now, right? Like, have, we haven't scared you away, which is really great. We're glad that they're here. He is here because, well, two reasons. One, he's a dad. We'll talk about that in a second. But two, David has been a part of Kids Blitz at Active Church the last two years. I think it was the first thing that you came and served at and just crushed it. And he was such a great example to us. And then to see his family involved and to see them invest in our kids, in your kids, in my kids, has been such a gift. We call him, ready for this? He's a rad dad. Yeah. And I just aged myself, I think, in that moment, didn't I? But I'm so grateful for him. And I know that there are so many dads in this place, but there are so many leaders in this place. And one of the things that I want to invite you to consider is being on one of our serve teams and being an activator here at Active Church. There is nothing like it. I got to teach the TK in kindergarten one night this last week. I'm never doing that again. Um, it was actually really great. Your kids are great. And I realized how hard our Active Kids leaders work. And I know that some of you are gifted in that and some of you are gifted in other ways. And so starting next Sunday in the lobby, and if you're watching online, there's a place online, activechurches.com, that you can fill out a form. But we want to invite you to consider being an activator on one of our teams. And then on Sunday, July 9th, we're going to launch what we call First Serve Sunday. A chance for you to serve with us, to serve along some friends, serve along some family, and to see what it's like to be on a team. And here's the good news. If you don't like it, you're not stuck to it. We'll find a different place for you. But I want to invite you to consider that starting next week and, and be like, like David and his, his family who have really invested here at Active Church. We honor all fathers and all dads and all father figures that are here in this place and that are watching online. And so what I'd love to do is just pray over David and pray over those dads here in the room and that are online in this next moment. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for David. Thank you for his friendship. Thank you for the times that we've been able to hang out and have lunch and just talk shop and talk faith and talk life. Thank you for the gift that he and his family are to you active. Thank you for those that are here that are serving, the dads that are leading the way. God, I thank you for the father figures who may not have their own biological kids, but they are men who are an example to other kids. God, thank you for people like David who are teachers, who help shape and mold and develop young minds. God, I pray that you would be in their story, that your favor would be upon them, that your spirit would encourage them and lead them. God, thank you that we get to be dads. Thank you that we get to be leaders. Thank you that we get to raise kids. God, I pray for the dads that you would give them wisdom to know what to do and courage to do it. And God, I pray for those, those men that want to be dads. I pray for those men that long to be a father. I ask that you would be their peace and their comfort in their waiting. I pray for those that don't have uh, an earthly dad on earth with us. Maybe he's passed or maybe he wasn't around. Maybe today's a hard day. God, I pray that you would be their peace and comfort as well. Thank you, God, for people like David and his wife, Angela, and their family. Thank you, God, for 
men and women who lead the way. And we pray that they would be honored in this place today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we say thank you to David one more time? I got invited to uh, David's class twice now for uh, a thing that they do called the Amazing Shake. And the first time I went in there, I was just so impressed at how he commanded the room and really loved and served our kids. And so it's good to know that we have good teachers and good leaders like David and others that are here at Active that are impacting and influencing the community. So I'm grateful for them, grateful for you. It's good to be here, good to be with you. If you're new today, there's a place called Guest Central. Stop by Guest Central, we would love to meet you. We have a free gift for you. And if you are a dad or a father figure, or if you're just really thirsty or you want some pop rocks, there's a whole pop bar that is outside for you. There's ring pops and pop rocks and there's pop. Um, and I, I call it soda or you might call it Coke, but it's all, it's all that. So you can go in and grab that after service today. Uh, you don't have to ask mom's permission. It's Father's Day, so you can do whatever you want. Um, just let dad have the remote and a nap today. That would be, that would be awesome. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you're aware of where we've been. If you haven't been, and today's your first Sunday with us, we are in a series called With You Always, and we've been walking through this letter, this powerful letter called Revelation in the scriptures. We're going to pause that and move that to next week. We have two more weeks in Revelation. It's going to be a fantastic conversation to have you back with us next Sunday. Because we wanted to focus all of our attention on one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful invitation in all of scripture. And it's this one. To place your trust in Jesus as Lord. To place the weight of your life in the hands of Almighty God. To trust God with you. And, and I don't want you to just do that in a private and in a personal way, although you will make that decision privately and you will make that decision personally. But I want to invite you to do that in a very public way, to trust God with you through the act of baptism. Because for some of you, you've been putting this off for far too long, and this is the thing that Jesus is inviting you into next. This isn't the thing that saves you. The cross and the resurrection and the work of Jesus does that. But baptism is the announcement that you have been rescued and saved, and that Jesus is Lord, and that his love will lead you, and that his spirit will guide you, and that his courage will fill you, and that you are not the same as you walked in when you walk out. I want to invite you to trust God with you through the act of baptism today. Not right now, in just a few minutes. And some of you, I know that me saying that this is where we're going today might have caused you to have a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of worry. Maybe your palms got sweaty, right? You look for the exits. How can I get out of here? I, I get it. I get it. Here's what I want you to know. God, along with the people of God, us at Active, our expectation of you is to not that you would not make a decision that you are not willing to make or ready to make. And so when the invitation of baptism comes, for those of you that have signed up and for those of you that haven't signed up, but your heart begins to stir, I want you to know that it's an invitation for you to make a decision. And it's not a requirement or a command or a demand. And we believe that this is a decision that you and I make with full awareness which is why when kids are young, we do child dedications because we want those kids when they're old enough to understand baptism to make that decision for themselves. So we're gonna do that in, in just a few minutes. But in order to do that, I wanna give you some background. I wanna give you some courage. I wanna give you some information that I think will be really helpful. This decision to trust God with you is one of the most powerful decisions 
that you can make. And here's what you need to know about God. God never invites you to trust him without first showing you that he is worthy of your trust. God never demands that you trust him without knowing that you can trust him. We see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus didn't show up and demand and command and force people to follow him. One of the first invitations of Jesus was come and see. Come and see what this is about. And that's where faith begins, friends. Faith isn't blind faith. Faith isn't crossing our fingers faith. Faith isn't wishing that things would be better faith. Faith is you and I seeing, hearing, and experiencing so that we may believe. And yeah, we weren't there when Jesus walked the earth, but we are here now with the words of the scriptures from the men and women who were there. And the reason they wrote it down was so that you would know and that I would know that we're not placing our faith and our trust in something ambiguous, but we're placing our faith and our trust in a God who is with us and he's personal and he cares and he came to us. We didn't go to him. He started coming in our direction first. He loved us first. And we see this in the life of Jesus. And here's what you find all throughout the scriptures when it comes to this powerful decision of trust. Trusting God is that one decision that will change your life. And isn't that what you're looking for? Isn't that why many of you show up and keep showing up and why you're watching online? Because for many of us, we're stuck. We're in neutral. And we find ourselves stuck and in neutral and not enjoying it. I had a conversation with someone I love just in the last few weeks where I said, are you enjoying this? Like, is this fun? And they're like, no, it's not. And I think all of us have moments in our life where we know that it's not fun and it's not enjoyable and we need something more. We need something better. And what we discover in the scriptures is this is the decision to trust God with our lives through this act of baptism. This is the decision that we've been waiting for. This is the next right step for us. It's the step of obedience. It's the step of going public. It's the step of saying, I'm going to acknowledge you, God, as my God before the people, before those that I love. Having a personal relationship with God is powerful, but it should never stay personal. Having a private moment with God where you make a decision to trust in God is powerful, but it should never stay private. It always goes public. It always impacts what you do. We've talked about this in our series with you always about this idea of having an ideological commitment and it works its way out in your hands. This is what it means to follow Jesus, that we do things, that we follow and that we trust in him, not just in theory, but in action. This is something that has been taught from the very beginning in the scriptures. Like we see that early on in the scriptures when the Jewish people, the Israelites, the people of God were living in a really terrible situation and they were asking the question, what do we do? Where do we go? What's the next right step for us? They were looking for a way out because they were losing hope because life was really hard for them. And today, I want to show you what their story was like how they were looking for anyone and everyone to rescue and save them. And they were even searching to see if God was a God who was trustworthy. 
And I want to show you how God made a way when they didn't believe that there would be a way. But what was interesting about this story is that when God made the way, God was actually proving his trustworthiness to them so that they would actually trust him in one of the most pivotal moments of their life. And so I want to show you this story in the scriptures. I want to tell you what happened. This true story, historical story, one that isn't made up, one that doesn't start with once upon a time, one that actually took place, one that is celebrated in Jewish history, one that we actually are influenced by when we take communion. It's a story of how God proved his trustworthiness and how then, because of that, the people trusted him. And today I want to invite you to do the same thing. We're going to be in this document in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures in the Bible. If you have a Bible with you, or if you have access to the Bible app on your phone, we're going to be in the document of Exodus. And we're going to be in chapter 3, in chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. We're going to jump around. And so if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 3 to get started, you can. Let, let me give you some backstory as to what's happening in this story. The people of God are slaves— in Egypt. Like they are being mistreated and they have been mistreated and they have been misused and they have been abused for generations. And they were longing for freedom and they were longing for something better. And because they were longing for it for so long, they were looking to anyone and everyone to rescue and save them, which means that it wouldn't have been unusual for them to look to God, but also look to the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Now, now for some of you, that might be a bit unsettling. Like, you're like, wait a second, the Jewish people, the Israelites, the people of God were looking to God, but they were also looking to other gods? I thought they were the people of God. The answer to that is, they are. But they're desperate. And isn't it true that desperation will drive you to do anything to find relief from whatever you're facing? It'll drive you to do things that you didn't plan to do, you didn't want to do, but you ended up doing because you needed to be rescued and saved. You needed somebody to step in because you couldn't do it on your own. Years ago, when Tiff and I were first married, we were learning how to pay our bills online. Now, I know that seems so foreign today, right? Like everybody pays their bills online. But back when we first got married, we would write checks and put them in the mail and send them off. For those of you that are under 40, a check is a piece of paper that has your bank account number that you could write on. And when you put your number on there and you put your name on there, you could give it to somebody and say, I have the money in my bank account and this is proof that I have the money. You need to trust me with this. And they would go, okay. And it could be like thousands and thousands of dollars and they would just have to trust you, right? Now we can just send it electronically, and if it's not there, it gets sent back, and you're like in trouble, right? And so we were learning how to do that. And as we're learning how to do that, we're learning how to be married, we're learning how to be parents. We accidentally made a mistake, and we sent this payment to that company, and we sent that payment to this company. One of the payments was under the amount that was asked, and then another payment was over the amount. And because this was all new, and there wasn't like immediate refunds or people that you could get a hold of, Tiff and I both freaked out, like completely freaked out, because we were living really like tight, paycheck to paycheck. And so we didn't know what we were supposed to do. We didn't know if we could call somebody. We didn't know. We just accidentally sent the money to the wrong direction. And so we, we freaked out. So 
I did in desperation as a married man with kids. I did the thing that I didn't want to do. I called my dad. Because I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be the man. I wanted to lead my family. I wanted to love my wife and I wanted to take care of this. And I was like, what, what do we do? I'm calling daddy. And, I, and I, so I picked up the phone and I said, with emotion. And we were pretty upset because again, tight budget, not much resource. And we made this mistake and we weren't sure we'd get the money back. And we didn't know if they would penalize us for not paying enough. And so I called my dad and I said, could Tiff and I and the kids come over? We really desperately need to talk to you. And he goes, yeah, come on up. So we came up, we put the kids in the other room, they were playing a bit, and Tiff and I sat at the table, and we were emotional about it. Tears in our eyes, streaming down our faces, and I shared with my dad the mistake that we made. And I said, do you think that maybe you could help cover us until we can get ahead or figure this out, and then we could pay you back? And my dad laughed. (laughs) He goes, that's it? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, oh man, we thought you guys were gonna get a divorce or something. (laughs) And I was like, no, no, we really like each other. Like we wanna do life together. It's fantastic. I said, we just made this mistake. And he goes, you can have all the money you want. You don't have to pay me back, good grief. Yes, we'll write you a check. And he did, he wrote me a check. But that moment of desperation is a moment that I think all of us have experienced. And you see that with the Israelites. They were were looking for some help. They needed some help. They needed some hope. They they needed their basic needs met. They, They wanted freedom. And they were searching everywhere for it. Now, maybe what you don't know about the Egyptian culture and in that culture during that time is Egypt was the dominant nation and they worshiped many gods. And the practice in that time was that you would have your own personal God. You would have a conversation. It would probably go something like this. Like, this is my God that I worship and he provides all of my financial needs. And then you would talk to your friend and they would say, oh, this is my God and and this God provides all of my basic needs. Cool. Want to go to dinner? I mean, that that would literally be the conversation in Egypt. Sometimes they would exchange gods. Like, if you needed some financial help, here, take this god, and he's covered me. Here, take this god, she's taken care of me. And they would have images and pictures and artifacts and things that would represent these gods. In fact, Abraham, who is known as the father of the nation of Israel, Abraham was actually raised in a home where other gods besides the one true God was worshipped. Abraham's father, Terah, was an idol maker, so he would actually create idols, make images of the gods that the people would worship so that they would know that that God is with them and for them. It would be a reminder. We put it on the coffee table. There he is. There she is. This God is with us and for us. We're going to be taken care of. It's how he made his money, but he was also a worshiper of these gods, a worshiper of these idols. This is why, by the way, Jesus is so remarkable. Because Jesus is not a created image. Jesus is the creator who put skin on, became like his creation to demonstrate and to communicate what God is like. We don't need to create something, paint something, build something, mold something. Jesus showed up and said, let me tell you about your heavenly father. This 
This is the world we live in. This was the world that they lived in in their time. And so the Jewish people, as they were in slavery, would look to the one true God, but many of them would also look to other gods. It was kind of like the decor in their house. They had the picture of the religious painting that represented their God, but they would also have an idol that would represent another God. And that might seem really foreign to you, but it's actually something that happens today. Like, have you ever, have you ever, maybe you or someone you know and someone you love who is a Christian, they say they believe in God. Have you ever heard them talk about karma? Have you ever heard them talk about like the universe working for them? Have you ever interacted with a Christian or someone who says they believe in God and they have tarot cards or crystals or they see a psychic or get their future, their fortune told? Like those are examples, friends, of what we do often when we are in situations where we're looking desperately for help. The problem is that often we look for help in the wrong places. We're looking for direction in the future when we worship the God who holds the future. We're often grabbing all of these things that we've created. And then we assume some sort of direction or some sort of power upon them, when in reality, they have no power and we worship the God who holds all the power. But this is the life that the Israelites were living because they were desperate and they needed help and they cried out to God. And God, because he's real, heard their cry. There's this moment in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 7, where God speaks to Moses, the one that is going to lead this freedom mission. And God says this to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down. I have come down to rescue them. The other idols and other gods don't speak, and the other idols and other gods don't move. And the other idols and other gods don't come down to rescue. This language was unique in that time. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and with honey. God tells Moses, I got a plan. Here's how I'm going to execute that plan. And you're the guy that's going to lead it. Because isn't it true that whenever God moves, he always moves with us. We always are invited to join God in the rescue mission, in the freedom mission that he is about to take part in, that he is about to execute. And then the next moment actually speaks to the reality of the culture and the world in that time. Moses, speaking to God, asks God what his name is. Now, of all the things that you could ask God right now in your life, and whatever you're facing, whatever you're struggling with, I would assume that maybe the first question you would ask of God is not his name. Like your past formalities, your past being polite, your past respect, you're like, I want to know about this, right? When you get to heaven, often many people are like, I can't wait to ask God about this. I don't think that we're going to go to heaven and go, hey, uh, Mike, Um, Can I have your name? Like, I don't think we're going to have that moment with God, right? But Moses asked that question because there were many gods and he wanted to know who this God was. All these gods have not rescued and saved. 
So I'd like to know your name because you're making a pretty audacious promise here. And so in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, we read, God says to Moses, listen to his words, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you to me. I am has sent me to you. There's a lot of gods you could worship. There's a lot of gods that you could trust. There's a lot of gods that you could follow. There's a lot of gods, but none of them have the power like I do. None of them love you like I do. None of them will move on your behalf like I will. You go and tell them that I am has sent you. They wanna know what God is, is this? They wanna know who this God is? Tell them, I am God sent you. There are no other gods, just me. And I'm about to move in a way that you can't even imagine. I'm about to answer your prayer in a way that you have desperately needed. Here's exactly what God said to Moses, Exodus chapter six, verse six. He says, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, the weight and the pressure and this terrible slavery that you're in. I'm gonna bring you out of that. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Not only is God coming to rescue and save, God is coming to have a relationship, a friendship, to be with them, to do life with them. It isn't God just showing up and being a first responder. We honor first responders but God is responding first and then he's staying. He's being present. He's gonna be their God. You don't have to look to that idol. You don't have to look to that thing. You don't have to look to the cards or the crystals or the universe. You can look to almighty God because he is here and not only will he rescue you and save you, but he will be with you and love you. And the Israelites, the Israelites upon receiving this, In verse nine, we read, they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Because isn't it true that sometimes when things are hard and heavy and we're desperate, it's it's sometimes it's just white noise that's trying to get to our heart because we have been so frustrated, so discouraged, some of you so bitter. Sometimes it's hard to get through that wall that you've built. Sometimes you've got a giant boundary around your heart and then three boundaries after that because of the pain and suffering and discouragement and struggle that you've been through. And so God doesn't get upset. God doesn't say, how dare you? How dare you not listen? How dare you get frustrated with me? There's a lot of gods that they have been crying out to, including the one true God. And they're just realizing, like, these gods haven't rescued us. These gods don't have power. So why should we trust you? Why should we turn to you? And God doesn't answer that with a lecture. God answers that with action. And what happens next, friends, is really good. If you're not familiar with the story, Moses goes to Pharaoh, who is the leader of the 
Egyptian people, and he says, you've got to let God's people go. God demands this, commands this. It's time to let them go. Stop mistreating them. Stop enslaving them. They need to be in freedom because God, who calls himself I am, he is a God who is a God who brings freedom. He is about freedom, and he invites his people to live in freedom. And so Pharaoh, you got to set these people free, and Pharaoh refuses. He's not even threatened because he worships a lot of gods. And he's holding the position of, well, your one God who's asking me to do this is not as powerful as the gods that I worship. Your God is one of many, and I have many gods behind me. And so he refuses to let the people go. And so Moses says, if you don't let these people go, there will be consequences. And the consequences will come as plagues. Now, for a lot of us, when we read this particular part of the scripture, we probably can't connect to that idea of a plague, right? At least before 2020. We could not connect our minds to like, what kind of plague? What does that mean? What is that like? And then 2020 hit and we're like, oh, okay, got it. This is going to adjust our life. This is going to make things kind of crazy. It's going to make people kind of crazy. Like this is going to be kind of ridiculous. And that's what's happening in this moment. Now, maybe for you, this could be a really hard moment. And maybe one of the moments of struggle of faith for you. Because you have heard that God is a God of love. The scriptures teach that John, who was with Jesus, after seeing Jesus, said God is love. That was his summation. But then you also wrestle with this idea of like, wait a second, so God is going to bring plagues upon the people? That doesn't seem loving. It actually seems kind of mean. And for some of us, it's the reason why we struggle with believing in God. Because this Old Testament God we read about doesn't reconcile with Jesus that we read about in the New Testament. For some of us, we can ride that tension. For others, we don't like that tension at all. What do we do with that? This, this doesn't feel loving. It feels mean. But the fact that we would question that gives a good sense as to what we don't know about this culture and what we don't know about what is about to happen. So here's what's about to happen. Each of these plagues are not a threat. Each of these plagues are not to condemn the people. Each of the plagues that are about to hit the Egyptians are a representation of who's God and who's not. It's a representation of, you believe in that God? That's cute. Let me tell you about the one true God. Here, here's what I mean. The Egyptian people actually believed in a God called Hopi. Hopi is one of, the, one of the names of the gods represented by the Nile River, the water in the Nile River. And they believe because they're in the middle of this kind of like dry area, middle of the desert, it's the Middle East. They believed that because this water never dried up, that that God was always going to protect them and provide for them. And so when Moses comes and says, the God known as I am says, set his people free, Pharaoh's like, mm, it's actually really great labor because I'm not paying them a cent and I'm able, I'm able to build my kingdom and I've got all these gods protecting me. Not, I'm not going to do that. And so when Moses says, well, then 
there's going to be some consequences. Pharaoh's like, we're always going to be protected. Hoppy's always going to watch over us and provide for us and help us to flourish and nourish us. Which is why Exodus chapter 7 verse 19 is pretty powerful. God says to Moses, uh, take your staff, stretch your staff, your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, canals, over the ponds, all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of the wood and stone. And so Moses and Aaron, the brother in love, or the brother of, of, of Moses, they did as the Lord commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of the Pharaoh and all of the officials and struck the water of the Nile. And all of the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. And for the first time in Egyptian history, Hopi was overpowered and could not protect the people. This was not a threat. This was God saying, Come on, bro. <laughs> Trust God, bro. This, this has, has no power over me. What's interesting is that after that happened, the waters come back and Moses goes back to Pharaoh and he says, all right, so you saw what happened. <laughs> so are you gonna let God's people go and set them free because the God whose name is I am has asked that you would do this because he is a God who brings freedom. And Pharaoh says, nope. So then the, the second plague comes. Exodus chapter eight, verse five reads this way. Moses, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and the canals and the ponds. Notice he's going again after the very things that provide nourishment and provide flourishing and take care of things and make frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. Now, the Egyptian god Heck was the fertility god. And do you know what image Heck held in Egypt? He was a frog. And so again, in this moment, God goes, you're not gonna listen. So let me remind you that my name is I am, which is an indication that I am the only God. And I am about to let you know who has the power and who doesn't. And for the first time in Egyptian history, Heck did not protect the people, but actually overran the people. Frogs everywhere. Frogs in your shoes, frogs in your shower, frogs in your drawers, frogs everywhere. And for the first time, this God that they worshiped did not protect them or fight for them, actually worked against them because Almighty God said, let me tell you and show you who has the power. This happens eight more times. You thought you were stubborn. You thought your spouse is stubborn or your kids are stubborn. Ain't nobody stubborn like Pharaoh. And even though God 
showed him who has all of the power. He refused eight more times. Gnats come, locusts come, flies come, and they all are representing the gods that they worshiped in Egypt. There's even darkness that takes over is the last plague and that darkness brings about death because the God who is known as I am holds life and death in his hands. And Pharaoh was watching this and the Egyptians were watching this and guess who else was watching this? The Jewish people in desperate need of freedom. And this entire time, God is proving himself to them. He didn't just ask him to trust him without any sort of evidence. God proves himself to them so that they would understand a couple of things. First, God is God over everything. There is no one like him. There is nothing like him. There is no one before him and there is no one coming after him. This is what he's showing and displaying and proving to them in that time and showing us in our time. This is what he wants them to understand. Second thing he wants them to understand is God is a trustworthy God. That he will say what he will do and then he will do it. We see that in the life of Jesus. He predicted his death and resurrection and then he did it. That's why we take it very serious. One of the many reasons why we take it very serious. He also wanted them to understand God is a saving God. I'm not just here to show up to see how things are going. I'm here to actually move it in a direction of hope, to move it in the direction of help, to move it in the direction of salvation. This is the God that they can turn to, that you and I can turn to. And what they discovered is he wasn't just going to show up and do something and then leave. What he wanted them to understand was this, that you are never alone when God is your God. You might feel alone, but you're not alone. It might seem like you're alone, but you're not alone. God is always working on behalf of those he loves. And this is what he wanted the people to know. This is what he was proving. This is where he was building trust. And once Pharaoh realized that he was not going to be able to stand against this God, he lets these people go because he realized that God is a God who holds all of the power and uses his power to rescue those he loves. When we have power as humans, sometimes we use that power to destroy those around us which is why we often get afraid of power. But when we see a powerful God who chooses to serve, it changes everything, including their stories. And then this God who proved his trustworthiness has his people follow Moses out of the city of Egypt, the nation of Egypt. Pharaoh changes his mind 
starts chasing these men and women that are his slaves. And some estimates are about a million and a half people are leaving Egypt, old, young, right in the middle. Some of us really, really athletic. Some of us not athletic. Some of us really healthy, physically healthy. Some of us not. And it's a giant group of people and they're being led out by Moses, being chased by the Egyptians. And then they come to the Red Sea and one of many shout to Moses and say, listen, this should have been a a moment where God triumphs and has victory, but now we've been let out here to be killed. Is this what God wanted? And again, God proves his trustworthiness. Again, God shows what he actually can do. Again, God announces who he is. What I love about this story is God told them what he would do, then God showed them how he would do it, and then God saved them through it. And in this moment, as they're standing facing the Red Sea with the enemy behind them, God tells Moses to raise his staff again, and the waters of the sea part. And we read in the scriptures, that they walked across on dry ground. And here's why they walked across. Because 10 times before, God proved that he was trustworthy and holds all of the power. And when he held the water back, the Israelites, the Jewish people realized that this God can be a God that they can trust. And God led them through the water because on the other side of the water was the story they were created for. And for some of you, you need to be led through the water today. You need to find out the story that's on the other side of the water. And for some of you, You're not sure how to get there. You're not sure what to do. And this is why God has throughout the entire scriptures and in the life of Jesus proven himself to be trustworthy. That he is a God. He is the only God that you can place your life in, whose hands you can trust, whose way is the best. He is the God who will lead you through the waters. Some of us who are looking for that next right thing, we haven't done that next right thing because we're afraid to go through the sea. Do you know in the scriptures, the sea actually has a deeper meaning than just the sea. The sea actually, when referenced in Psalms and in Proverbs, it always talks about the sea in reference to chaos and fear and darkness. Isn't it interesting that the Israelites, the people of God, the Jewish people are led through the Red Sea. Something that would represent chaos and fear and darkness. And God held the waters back so that the people could find the story that he created them to live in on the other side of the water. Some of you, it's time to Trust God through the water. Some of you, it's time to find the light on the other side of the water. 
Some of you, it's time for you to allow God to lead you through some of the most darkest and most painful memories and some of the most darkest and painful past experiences so that you can live with hope and you can live with courage and you can live with strength that isn't on your own, that's from Almighty God, where you can toss aside all of the things that you've tried to turn to in your desperation and that you can look eyeball to eyeball in the eyes of your Heavenly Father and you can trust him. Some of you, it's time for God to lead you through the water, and it's time for you to trust him as you go through the water. So God has set the table. God has made a way. God has proven himself. Now, the decision is yours. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray some words over you. And as I pray, if you're a leader that's going to be helping with baptism, someone invites you to get set. For those of you that have signed up to get baptized, we're going to call you to move in just a moment. But there are some of you that maybe need to make this decision today because you have been in a situation where you don't know how to get out of and you've been desperate and you've looked everywhere. And today, for the first time, you're going to look to Almighty God and you're going to trust Him. You're going to call Jesus Lord of your life. And you're not going to do that quietly and privately only, but you're going to go public with that in the water. And you're going to allow God to lead you through the water with an announcement that Jesus is Lord and that you trust him with you. Some of you weren't prepared for this, but now God is stirring in your heart and I want you to know that we've prepared for you. We have everything you need backstage to get changed into, towels, clothes, all of that. We have a team of people that would love to pray with you. And if you are somebody that's ready to make that decision in just a moment, I want to give you that invitation. Let me pray some words over you. Heavenly Father, as we prepare ourselves for what is about to happen. God, I ask that this moment would be a moment that would be seared in our memory, that would mark our hearts, and that would remind us that you are a God who is trustworthy. May this next moment be a moment that changes not just those that are watching, but changes the lives of those that actually say yes to trust in you. May this be a moment where everything is different for us because we decided to trust God with us. That some of us decided to trust you, God, with them, with their story. I pray, God, that there would not be fear that would keep people from making this decision. There would not be shame that would keep people from making this decision. There would not be anything that would get in the way. But may you lead us through the water. May you lead us because we've trusted in you. And may you transform our hearts and our lives because of the powerful work of Jesus on the cross. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things and together we say amen.